It's Friday, November the 13th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by Raytheon Technologies. Coming up, Trump and Fox fall out, and new jobless claims fall. First, the world in brief. The divorce papers are filed. President Donald Trump rattled off more than a dozen tweets and retweets attacking Fox News, which did so much to sustain his presidency. Several of Fox's opinion hosts have stuck by him, but its news team openly rejects his complaints that last week's election was stolen. Axios, a news website, reports that he is planning a rival channel of his own. Meanwhile, several senior Republican senators urged that President-elect Joe Biden be allowed access to classified intelligence briefings, suggesting that their party is preparing to concede the presidency, even if their president is not. Mr. Trump signed an order barring American investment in 31 Chinese firms that directly support China's army, according to the White House, including Huawei and China Telecom. Separately, his Justice Department announced it would appeal against a judge's decision to block another order that would have forced the removal of TikTok, a Chinese-owned short video service from American app stores yesterday. New claims for jobless benefits in America dipped by 48,000 last week to 709,000. That figure is still far higher than the pre-pandemic average of 200,000 a week. Yet it was slightly better than expected, given that America is undergoing a third spike of COVID-19 cases, now counting 150,000 infections a day. The European Commission launched a strategy to protect lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people, setting it on a likely course for conflict with some member states. The proposals, to which each country must agree, include minimum penalties for anti-LGBT hate crimes. Hungary, however, recently proposed a constitutional amendment that would keep gay couples from adopting, and many Polish towns have declared LGBT-free zones. Britain's GDP grew by a record 15.5% in the three months to September as the country recovered from its lockdown in the spring. The figure was nonetheless lower than forecasters had expected. Output remains 9.6% lower than a year ago, the worst performance recorded by any large European economy. Emirates made its first half-year loss in more than 30 years. Dubai's state-owned flag carrier, before the pandemic the world's largest airline by international passenger kilometres travelled, has been hit hard. In the six months to September 30th, passenger numbers fell by 75% year-on-year, resulting in a loss of $3.4 billion, compared with a profit of $235 million in the same period last year. And several retailers quickly sold out of the Sony PlayStation 5 shortly after the new video game console was released. In-person sales were restricted by lockdowns, but pre-orders and online sales channeled intense enthusiasm. The shortage of other entertainment has been a boon for the video games industry. This week, Microsoft also launched the Xbox Series X. And now, here's today's agenda. All for one, the next wave of COVID-19 vaccines. On Monday, Pfizer and BioNTech, two pharmaceutical firms making a vaccine against COVID-19, revealed that their jab appeared to be more than 90% effective. Within weeks, the firms could have the data needed for emergency authorization to release it for use. The news lifted spirits around the world. 
Most in the field had thought 70% efficacy was as good as could be hoped for. Russia and China have also announced promising candidates, and competing vaccines are hot on their heels. The Pfizer-BioNTech results increase the probability that at least one of the vaccines will prove effective. They also show that a vaccine using messenger RNA can work. That is good news for Moderna, another vaccine developer using a similar technique. The trials also show that targeting the coronavirus's spike protein, as others do, pays off. Huge challenges remain in deployment, but the panoply of options means that the beginning of the end is on the horizon. Light Relief, the G20 and Debt Restructuring Today, the G20's finance ministers will try to devise a way of helping the world's neediest countries, many of which have been crushed by both the pandemic and heavy debt burdens. The Institute of International Finance, an industry group, calculates that 35 of the poorest African countries will have an average public debt-to-GDP ratio of a whopping 480% this year. Some of this debt will need to be written off. Securing relief requires coordination among different creditors, in particular China, which are due to receive more than 40% of global debt service payments in 2021. So the G20 is trying to create a framework that treats creditors equally and ensures that none need worry that their generosity is in effect lining others' pockets. If it proves successful, some hope the framework might eventually apply also to richer countries in need of relief. But not yet. Creditors will be asked to accept their haircuts one snip at a time. It's a deal. ASEAN assembles. Asia's diplomats have their work cut out this weekend. The Association of Southeast Asian Nations, which convened its biannual powwow online on Thursday, is discussing climate change, trade, security and COVID-19. The group is expected to launch a regional coronavirus fund and a shared reserve of medical supplies for future emergencies. On Sunday, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership will be signed by ASEAN's 10 member states, plus Australia, China, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea. Though India has bowed out of the deal, RCEP will still be the world's largest regional trade pact, with participating countries producing a third of the globe's GDP. Southeast Asians eagerly anticipate the riches promised by the deal, but worry that it will confirm China's top dog status in the neighborhood. Many hope that America under President-elect Joe Biden will keep China in check by rejoining another big trade bloc with an ungainly name, the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. The Harrying of the North, Ethiopia's Civil War the long march of troops aligned with Abiy Ahmed, Ethiopia's prime minister, into the country's restive northern region of Tigray is now in its tenth day. Last week, Abiy ordered military action against the state's ruling party, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, in response to what he claimed was an attack on a federal army camp. He now says he will overthrow the TPLF and install a transitional regional administration. In the past few days, hundreds of Ethiopians have died in fighting along Tigray's borders, and some 11,000 have fled to neighbouring Sudan. The National Army's fighter jets are hammering arms and fuel depots, although the TPLF, which boasts significant firepower of its own, claims to have downed at least one of them. Abiy insists this is a simple law enforcement operation against a renegade hunter, not a full-scale war but it is a line which is becoming harder to sustain with each passing day. 
Some help from your friends, Moldova's election. So many Moldovans have emigrated that diaspora votes will decide the outcome of Sunday's presidential election. The race is tight but looks good for Maya Sandu, who has made her name as a genuine anti-corruption campaigner. In the election's first round, diaspora votes were 11% of the total. The vast majority of them went to her. Previously, Ms. Sandu came across as a chilly figure, and in a country of traditional prejudices, her enemies falsely called her a lesbian. She has attempted to widen her coalition by actively campaigning for the votes of Russian speakers, not just the Romanian-speaking majority. If she defeats Igor Dodon, the incumbent who leans towards Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, she will seek to have parliament dissolved and to consolidate power by winning control of the government. That would give this corrupt and oft-forgotten corner of Europe reason for hope. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Augustine of Hippo, who was born on this day in 354 AD. An unjust law is no law at all. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And we'd like to hear from you. Please tell us what you think of The Economist Morning Briefing by answering a short survey at economist.com forward slash morning briefing survey. 